to Surviving Academia, a podcast about surviving the wild world of the academy, where each episode we make light of the tough life of today's academic, discuss the pressing issues affecting the masters and doctors of the world, and share self-care techniques for getting through tough times. My name is Rachel, a newly minted PhD who is working as a postdoctoral fellow. And I'm Zach. I am a newly minted PhD as well, and I just got an adjunct job, moving up in the world. I'm Kristen, and I am a doctoral candidate, and I am writing my dissertation. (laughs) And uh, we do have legitimate social media at this point, so be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at SurvivingPhD, and on Instagram at SurvivingAcademia. And we are also now on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, so make sure to like us and subscribe on there if you want to hear more from us, the didactic trio. Yay! So um, I want to thank you all for listening. We've got a few more uh, listeners than we expected. Uh, We thought it was just going to be our friends, but apparently some other people are picking us up. So exciting. And maybe someday we'll have a big enough audience to warrant real advertisers. But until then, I want to note that today's show is brought to you by the Conference Room Projector. Do we need an adapter? Is it on the right input? How do you get PowerPoint to show up? Does it do sound? Ah, fun times with the conference room projector. Uh, if, you, if you're not one of our friends that's listening, if you're beyond that friend circle, it would be great if you logged on to that social media and told us more about what you want to hear from us. Uh, we're always interested in uh, you know, coming up with more fake advertisements, uh, show, topics we should discuss for our show. Um, and on that note, today's show is about academics running for office. Uh, as you all know, we are in the throes of an election cycle. It's a midterm cycle, so no presidential this this time, but a third of the Senate and all of the House of Representatives is up for office. Many states have already had their primary elections, uh, but there is a record number of of academics and otherwise, uh, you know, masters and PhDs running for uh, elected office in Congress. So. Yeah. We just want to let everybody know that this week we played into Zach's hand, so he got to do all the research this week. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm really going to nerd out here for a minute. <laughs> no, it's great. I'm so excited to hear what you found for us. It's going to be so exciting. Yeah, so I did some digging, and of course, uh, according to the uh, Congressional Research Service, uh, 18 members of the House currently have no educational degree beyond a high school diploma. Uh, eight members of the House have an associate's degree as their highest diploma. 100 members of the House and 21 senators have earned master's degrees as their highest. 167 members of the House, uh, which is a third of it, and 55 senators, which is over half, hold law degrees. Um, And then there's a remainder of about 24 that have a doctorate that is not a Juris Doctorate, which is the the law degree. Um, And of those, most of those are medical doctors. Uh, and then the, there's only about seven people with PhDs, so some sort of uh, social science or humanities uh, discipline or, or uh, a physical science discipline uh, that is not the law or that, that is not medicine. Uh, and I, I did some further digging just, just, for, just for my own fun and, and good times, and I found out that while there are seven PhDs in Congress— uh, out of 538 people, there are 10 people named Steve, 11 people named <laughs> Bill, 13 people named Tom, and 18 people named John. When you give an academic a simple task, <laughs> it's, of course, going to end up this way. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to always say that now. Did you know there's more guys named John that, in the Congress than there are PhDs in the Congress? So does that surprise you? No, it actually doesn't surprise me. Um, I wish there were more. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love our lawyers. I love my fiance, who is a practicing attorney. But um, I'd like to see a little more diversity in education there. I think we'd all benefit from it. Yeah, what do you all think? Um, I mean, obviously, being a lawyer means you're very familiar with the process of law. And that's why a lot of elected officials end up becoming end up coming from the legal profession is they are just more familiar with the the legal process and and are generally thought to be more capable 
uh, by their electorate as being capable of making laws. But what do what do other academics have to offer? What do you think they have to offer in terms of being in Congress? Well, I think there's a big difference between knowing the law and being proficient in exactly what the law is saying, but then also how pe- real people navigate some of these issues. And I think if you've ever worked in a place, especially if you've ever worked in social services, you can kind of see how these laws play out in people's real lives and it might be a much different uh idea than what lawyers or policymakers had intended it to mm-hmm. i know i for me i think um you know each one of these individuals who have been elected into office are representing such masses of people right dependent upon region and area and district etc but i don't think that to be able to be the voice of the of your people, I don't think it really requires a certain degree or a certain amount of expertise. I was actually really excited to hear that there were some people who had not gone beyond high school or an associate's degree or even a bachelor's because it's an example of kind of the diversity that we have in the people who um, are representing us, just like the diversity we have of the people who are voting them in. Um, so it's, it's just interesting. It's interesting for me to hear that, um, Though, I, I don't know. I I think that as PhDs or people who get those kind of advanced degrees, you gain so many other transferable skills in your education that I think that could be really useful in a situation when you're having to um, communicate with others and create policy and all of that stuff. Yeah, if there's one thing that having a PhD shows to the world, it's that you know how to learn. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how and to... And do research. And... Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, I, the, the reading that I did on, on, uh, on, um, the show for today, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, magazines, uh, I, I, for, in particular, I looked at science magazine, um, and I'll, we can put this up on the Facebook page, but, uh, you know, it talks about scientists who are running for Congress, uh, this year. And I'll, I'll read the quote. They say most face long odds. For starters, voters may be impressed by a candidate's specific credentials, but such background is rarely a decisive factor when they go to the polls. In addition, most of this year's STEM candidates are political novices who are starting out far behind their supporters when it comes to knowing how to run a professional campaign. And I think that really speaks to like part of the matter is, is, you know, academics, we don't spend every day at, at, at the Capitol. Um, I mean, so I know some of us know know people who are, you know, who do spend some time uh, down there lobbying on behalf of the academy, but not necessarily in generating overall policy or getting acculturated to, to there. Whereas there's much more, many more lawyers down there uh, uh, doing that. So you know, they start sort of start out at, at a deficit compared to a lot of other professions. Well, I think this mm-hmm. is true for a lot of people. There's a huge learning curve. Um, I think if you ask the general public about how you would even run, I guess that was one of the most surprising things that I sort of learned this week is what all the things you need to have together to run and how you would even go about it, who you would talk to. I mean, most people just don't know that. So there's a big learning curve. I think you're right, Kristen. I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. But what do what do elected officials, you know, in in the some of the debates that that are you know pressing issues of our day what what do they have to offer um you know having a scientist in office instead of a lawyer what sort of perspective do you think that that adds on issues like like climate change or genetically modified foods yeah i think um you have a what a scientist would maybe be able to approach the issue with a maybe more research-based um, approach to it and um, not uh, – I mean, there's a lot out there, right? There's a lot out there when it comes to resources. I'm, I'm going to say resources in kind of quotes because we know some are more valid than others. And maybe having someone with that experience of in the sciences of gathering research may be able to help wade through that a little bit better for not just on themselves but others. Yeah, yeah, they parse through large amounts of information and make sense of it. I mean, to me, having, you know, a debate over having, you know, 
people who don't have a background in public health debating public health issues and, and health care is really it's really frustrating because, um, you know, they may not be as well backgrounded in, you know, the, the outcomes of different versions of policies um, and maybe driven more ideologically than than by the data. However, mm -hmm. I'm going to play devil's advocate. OK, because I do think. Mm -hmm. There is something to be said about having to navigate a system and being and learning about something on the ground and having different sort of experiences with that. I know before I came back to get my PhD, I worked in mental health. And so just the different hurdles that people had to take, just figuring out how people found resources, there really is something to be said for for being able to navigate that system in a way that is different than just outcomes and um, spreadsheets and charts. Like there's real people who are trying to navigate a lot of these things. And if we're trying to make the law work for everybody, I think we have to listen to those voices. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think you're totally right. Um, and I think that's a really important part of it. And Kristen, I'm sure one of these episodes will start talking about your research, but I, that makes me think of your research where you're talking about um, – you know, government scientists and the Army Corps of Engineers who are saying one thing about a toxic location in St. Louis, where some of the residents say another, the mm -hmm. residents who are living and breathing and existing in these areas. And I really think that the, the best truth and the, the best way to kind of attack these larger federal and state issues are to find the, the point in which those two meet, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I would really love to see more politicians do that and really, truly engage in some of those difficult conversations at that, um, you know, in intersection right there. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said uh, for that. We have to be careful also, I think, to not get into an area of you know, just because I have a Ph.D. or I have a master's degree in X, Y, Z that I, I know all about it. And I know good academics, you know, admit their own biases and their own limitations, but something that definitely comes out in my own research because I'm looking at basically how people interact with scientists, um, you kind of see a lot of arrogance on this side. And so that really is a hindrance of, you know, trying to listen to what people are saying and it leads to all these problems and all these confusions when... You know, you also have to step outside of that and be able to have like real conversations about real things and how real things interact in people's life. Um, I don't know. Arrogance is great quality for a politician. <laughs> <laughs> no, not advocating for it, just saying that's <laughs> how it is. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like part of a credibility, right? Like the more self-assured or more. Yeah, the more uh, confident you confident act, the you more are. competent you seem. Yeah, and people don't yeah, question I, I it. There's a difference in confidence and arrogance, though, because you can be confident and still have open ears for listening mm -hmm. and not just hearing, right? Like, you can be out there. And when I say listening and hearing, I also mean, like, metaphorically, through social media, through other campaigns, through letter writing, all of that. Um, yeah, I, I think you can kind of be both, but maybe I'm just, you know, a post-dissertation idealist. <laughs> No, you well, definitely can be. Bold. Well, I know my bias. I want more sociologists in office, but that's not, probably not going to happen anytime soon. We can hope. Well, Zach, I have to tell you that Kristen and I got to talk to a current PhD who is running a U.S. congressional campaign this week. Right, Kristen? Yeah, it was so exciting. Yeah, we talked with Hallie Thompson. She is a PhD student in plant sciences um, at the University of Missouri, and um, she is currently running. And it was really, really awesome to talk to her. And I can't wait for you to hear the interview that we um, kind of did. And I, I totally can't wait to hear like what you thought of it and what she had to say. But it was great because one thing she said um, is she hands out her personal cell phone number. Instead of some random, um, like, office number, and people call her, and she has great conversations with people from all over the district. Um, she actually has her own podcast, Blazers and Flagpins, which you can also access through um, Apple iTunes and Google um, Podcasts. And we'll share as that on well social as on media, Facebook. right? 
we sure we certainly won't share it on social media because she's got her own social media there and it really documents her campaign but also goes to the campaign into the campaigns of some others who are currently running yeah so here is our interview with hallie thompson we're excited to have you listen interview this week we are interviewing um u.s congressional candidate hallie thompson thank you for being on our podcast hallie thanks for having me i'm so excited to be here so tell us a little about uh, you a little bit about you all right so i'm not really talking to uh Kristen and Rachel too much on this because we've known each other for a while mm-hmm. uh, but you know for everyone else that doesn't know me quite as well I am a longtime Missourian I've actually never lived anywhere else I uh, grew up in rural Missouri and have been in Columbia Missouri where we're all located for about the last 10 years but I'm a plant biologist uh, who grew up on a beef cattle farm uh, and the way I got there was a little bit serendipitous, uh, but I love thinking about how plants work, how they impact uh, the society around them, especially in places like Missouri, uh, because, you know, agriculture is really important here. Um, but I'm also, you know, I do a lot more than being just a scientist. Uh, so I've been a grad student for too long, <laughs> as I think a lot of people can probably identify with. Uh, and what to say even. I do a lot of things outside of it. I mean, I serve on committees. I've been in leadership positions on the university campus, in the city, nationally, and even internationally. Uh, So I've had a lot of interesting experiences that were made available to me because of graduate school, because of being part of the University of Missouri. Um, It's really opened my eyes to a lot of things uh, that I can do, uh, including running for Congress. Yeah, that's great. So when did you decide to run? So that kind of goes with my story that I was getting started on a little bit there. I actually did an interview earlier this week, and the woman interviewing me got mad because I kept answering her questions before she asked me her questions. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. that. (laughs) I'm sorry. I might. I might. Um, I apologize for the faux pas beforehand. But I really – so I decided to run – and Rachel may remember this, a few years ago, I talked seriously about it when we were trying to work on higher education reauthorization at the federal level and getting frustrated uh, by lack of listening from people, um, especially from our representative here in Missouri, Vicki Hartzler, in Missouri's 4th Congressional District, which is the person I'm running against. Um, I think gesticulations coming from the side over here. Have just gently thrown it down. There. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what yeah. politicians do. You need to know this. Yeah. Uh, but so, I mean, that was the biggest thing that got me started thinking about it very seriously. Uh, but I really decided to run at the end of last year. Uh, and what made me decide, I mean, not my self-reflections and not knowing that I wanted to do it, not knowing that I needed to do it, but what really made me decide was the support that I got from people that said, I will volunteer for you. I will spend this much time on your campaign and I believe you can do it. And that's what it really took for me. Outside of all of the passion and drive and whatever, it took people being there. So um, you said that you've been a grad student for way too long, and I know a lot of our grad students listening and also our academics who are in higher ed elsewhere listening um, will probably relate. (laughs) But so what about being an academic makes you a good candidate for something like public office? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of reasons. So it's going to be hard for me to keep this short. So feel free to, to cut me off a little on this because... I think serving on committees uh, at the university is one of one of the biggest ways that's helped me to prepare myself for some of the discussions you have to have as a candidate, but also what I will hopefully have whenever I'm a member of Congress. Uh, but along the way, specific to being a scientist and, a, and an ag biologist, um, asking questions about things that apply directly to farmers in Missouri and trying to answer those questions 
has been something that I have found to be probably the most useful um, in my version of being an academic to running for office now. But more generally, um, asking good questions about policy is something that's very important that I think that we undervalue sometimes. Um, and also realizing that there are creative ways that we can start to try to answer those kind of off the wall questions sometimes. Uh, is something that being an academic sort of opens your mind to. Uh, but also, and you all know this, on a university campus, uh, the world is your oyster in a lot of ways. You can get involved in this or that, and you have to make a lot of decisions. You have to prioritize, and you can say yes to everything. I mean, more power to you, but you're going to have a lot of trouble getting things done. And so what I've noticed is as a candidate, and I didn't actually expect this, but I have to make decisions I mean, hourly. Today went totally different than I expected. And I was prepared, and I'm continually prepared, for making those important decisions all the time because I was trained to do that as an academic, as a scientist, and at a large university, like the University of Missouri, that's a particular skill that I developed mm -hmm. because I forgot how many student organizations we have and all the different opportunities and, you know, I wanted to do everything for a while, but being able to, to temper back and figure out what I really needed to do and what my priorities were has been a really helpful skill. And I could go on. <laughs> we have plenty more questions, don't worry. I know you do. I know because academics have good questions. <laughs> I am curious about that. So I know that, you know, public conceptions about what academics do is much different than what they actually do and so a lot of times academics just have such a packed schedule we have so much stuff going on um so why do you think it's important for academics to get involved in terms of public service when they really already have full plates so why um why do you think this is important for them so i mean the service part of being at a university for me at least is one of the most important things that a university does, especially a public university that's trying to serve its community. Because the service portion is what makes you relevant to the surrounding people in your, in your state, in, in your city. And so I think it's important for academics to continue to do that and not to get you know sidetracked by, I have to get this research done and that's, that's the only reason I'm here. Because we're here for more than that. I mean, the research at the end of the day we're doing because it ties into larger questions that might eventually apply to society as a whole. And the problem with just doing that research and not doing the service and connecting to other academics and people in your community is that when it comes time, you're gonna have more difficulty communicating that research. You're gonna have more difficulty making those connections and moving forward with potential applications because you haven't done that service, you haven't built those, built those bridges. And I think, for me at least, my bias is to say, you know, of course in agriculture, it's very obvious why that that's important. But I think in all of the areas of the academy, that's true. And sometimes it's with students, and sometimes it's with your colleagues, and all of those different areas of connection and questioning and working together are very important. So I like where Kristen was going with that question of how people view academics versus how academics actually work. And I'm curious, Hallie, what should people know about you? And what, what do you actually do, you know? There's a lot. <laughs> so if I had to tell people one thing, or maybe I'll give you two things about me here. So I do, I do research on how corn responds to drought and I'm lucky enough to be able to do that research outside. Um, and actually one of the reasons I selected my research project is because I didn't want to be a researcher that was always in the lab. And Rachel can definitely tell you that I will be found <laughs> frequently with dirt under my nails <laughs> and basically covered in soil, sweaty, wearing shorts, you know, and running around on campus because I love to, you know, be outside and get my hands dirty, not just have other people, you know, digging up plants and having me being the one, you know, doing the data, but I like to get in there and do some of that, like, literal shovel digging work myself. 
Uh, something that I also really like uh, is leading teams that are doing that and teaching them, you know, that love of getting involved outdoors. And I think that's something that when you think of an academic, you don't necessarily think of, you know, what comes to mind, you know, when, when someone says scientist, right? Mm -hmm. You don't think of someone outdoors driving a tractor or using a shovel and staring at a root system. You think of someone in a, in a lab coat probably a white lab coat, not a dirty lab coat. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Pipetting. Yeah, and so that's, you know, that's something about me. And I think about a, a lot of plant scientists that's a little bit unusual. And I really appreciate that about my area. Um, but another thing about me is, so I talk a lot about this with people that understand how much trouble I have sometimes focusing on computer work. Uh, I'm an extrovert. I'm basically 100% extrovert. Uh, I need very little Hallie time. <laughs> Most of my recovery time is like with other people, uh, talking and discussing and debating, which is why politics is a great fit for me. Uh, but it makes it really hard for me to sit down and do some of that data work and analysis and writing. I'm really good at reflecting with other people, but when it comes to doing that by myself, it's really hard. And, you know, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only academic that's like that because a lot of academics teach. And to teach, you have to have a little bit of that extrovert streak because why would you stand in front of 500 students and talk about something and enjoy it if you weren't a little bit like, yeah, this is something I kind of like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think the thing that comes out of that is basically that, you know, academics are a lot like everyone else. We just chose to do this because there was there was something that drew us to you know that very in-depth study of whatever subject we're into well i'd be remiss if i didn't ask since i'm a social scientist about how you get um how you start or how you get through to different groups of people because i know in missouri um, we have a lot of different types of people you know or sometimes in the news for some of these big large political issues and so I'm just sort of interested in how you make those connections between people. It's really hard. I mean, that's why politics is hard. And being a candidate in a congressional district, which I'm not sure if everyone knows this, but for the audience's sake, a congressional district is usually about 700,000 people in that district, and often 500,000 or more that are eligible to vote. And that's a huge number of people. And then you start looking into what you're saying is that, you know, this isn't a monolith, right? It's not a, a bunch of people that think similarly because they're from Missouri's 4th Congressional District. No. We have Columbia, the biggest city that's in the district in the population center. And then we have 24 counties, most of which are very rural. And we have beef farms. So those are easier folks for me to connect with because I can talk about, you know, my childhood and I can... I don't know, I feel a little bit more at home talking with them, so that's that's pretty easy to just get in that conversation and build trust and then move forward because, I mean, of course, running for office, you're always going to have to have a difficult something in there, a different conversation than just building that trust. Um, but, I mean, I'm still learning, honestly. Uh, one of the best ways I've found, too, is to build a connection or two really strong in a community. And then from there, use those connections to help build bridges with other people and to get into spaces that people feel comfortable. Um, so going to whatever, you know, random meeting that they have in that town. So uh, I'm going later this month to a trails event in Nevada, Missouri. Yes, Nevada, not Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's Missouri. <laughs> I feel like we're known for pronouncing our city names differently yes, than the rest are. of the world. Yes, we are. We're sales, also <laughs> in the district. Also where my dad was born. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Um, but Nevada, they're having a, a trails event where they're talking about, um, it's one of the least connected communities in the entire state as far as like exercise and scenic trails are concerned. So this event is about trying to like raise visibility of that and raise some money and partnerships to actually build more trails. Now, I randomly found out about this from talking with someone, but to build more connections and to get people talking about politics and to get to know me, this is a perfect place because I love trails too. 
we can bond over that and then we can get into tougher conversations about that um, but honestly it's for me more of an art than a science because I could sit down all day and try to analyze exactly what's going on but everyone and every conversation I have is so different so I've learned to be really adaptable well that's I think a wonderful thing that you could have like learned as you're going through this process is is that advice that you would give to people who were running, kind of like meeting people where they are? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious, yeah, what would you say to someone who wanted to do this, who saw you and said, oh, Holly ran this campaign, I'm now inspired. What would you tell them? It's going to be lonelier than you thought it would be. Hmm. You're going to feel like it's just you, even though you have a lot of people that work with you and are volunteering and care about you and want to be part of it. At the end of the day, you are the candidate and as much support as you have because you're the candidate and you're the head of this thing and any sort of trash that's thrown your way or literal or or not, uh, it's about you, right? And so you have to be open to that, to take criticism well um, and criticisms that aren't grounded, just let them fly by. And so I think my advice would be to build resiliency Um, in your habits and in your mindset but also I mean (laughs) for me too it's been like just learn constantly which I guess is a form of resiliency in some ways and uh, through learning you're going to succeed more and it'll happen more and more often so I guess the best example of this and I have an example for everything because this is another thing I learned (laughs) is if you don't have an example of it which in academia is totally fine sometimes to not have an example But like it's very pie in the sky when you're talking to a lot of folks. Uh, But so my example, basically knocking on doors. I hadn't done a lot before, but now I've knocked on almost 2,000 doors and accelerating quickly. And when I knock on doors, I was always sort of reticent to knock, wait, and then knock again. But what I learned was if you knock and you wait and you leave, people think it's the UPS guy or gal. (laughs) And that was a problem because people weren't answering their doors for that reason. And I was feeling very like anxious and unsure and like, are people, like, do they care? Do they want to answer? Is this not worth my time? And once that sort of locked in, it became like, okay, I'm past this. This moment's over, moving on. And I can apply that to other things, right? Try different things. It's very much an experiment, right? What works, what doesn't, record it, communicate it, move on. That's a really great practical tip, mm-hmm. you know, of just, you know, waiting and knocking again. <laughs> that I would have never really thought of something you would learn really on the campaign trail, but it makes sense. It took me a while. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you spend 30 more seconds and then someone answers. I've worked on a campaign before and canvassing was like, it's so hot, <laughs> knocking out all these people's stores. It is kind of a crazy sort of nerve wracking thing to go through. So I feel you on that. Um, when you think about what vision you have for Missouri or what vision you have for this area or for, um, you know, just your constituents, uh, what is your vision? Yeah, that's a big question because I think, uh, I mean, running for U.S. Congress, my vision has to be local for this district because of the conversations we were talking about because of, you know, Columbia and then the rest of the rural area, that vision has to bridge a more urban and academic population, as well as, you know, farmers and manufacturers and small business owners and, you know, you name it. Uh, there's a lot of different jobs out there in this district. Uh, but so my main vision that I talk about, that I really live for, is having a more just economy for everyone. And I think that applies no matter where you live and no matter what your life experience, and it can mean different things to different people, and that's what I love about it, is there's a lot of space for input. I have, you know, of course, my own preconceived notions and what that just economy means, and to me, it means a lot of, you know, taxing the wealthy and ensuring that we're taking care of those with less. But it could mean changing the way we do agriculture, the way we sell crops, and thinking about that differently. Um, so many different things. I mean, it could mean single-payer health care. 
so my vision basically is is to make our world and make our communities more fair for people that have gotten the short end of the stick. And also, I mean, because I'm an agriculture scientist, of course, one of my visions is to have a more adaptable food system, to have a food system that can be local, but at the same time can be global if it needs to be. Uh, we need to retool the farm bill, and I think that's something that, you know, we have a lot of people that research that here at the university, but, you know, people that live in rural areas realize that that's their bread and butter, that, you know, there's, there's a relationship between urban and rural, and communicating that rela relationship, I think, requires the economy and the agriculture perspectives. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we kind of let you go and back to your super, super busy schedule? One thing, and I don't know if it's related to this podcast, but I think it's something that I've learned along the campaign that I didn't share earlier, but I think is worth sharing with academics because it's something that academics and politicians share. You have to reach out and network and build connections, but we're often hesitant to reach out because we think, hey, this person that I want to be my mentor or this person that I want to like be part of my team will be averse to that ask. You know, they're, they're too busy or whatever. Never assume someone's too busy. Never assume they don't want to be part of your team. Never assume anything because you don't know and all you can do is ask. And I know we hear this all the time from people, but seriously, I have learned that I've asked some of what I would consider the most influential people in Columbia, hey, will you grab coffee with me and teach me about this, whatever topic it is. They're happy to do that. They're happy to talk on the phone, to work with me, and to make politics better for Missourians. So that's, that's something that I think could, could be useful for almost anyone. I think that also surprises people. I know my mom once for her job was reading over some academic journal mm -hmm. that she found and she's like, oh, I have a real specific question about how this guy did this technique. And I was like, email him. And she's like, no, I can't. He's an academic. I was like, are you joking? You're too busy. This is like his dream come true. And then so she emailed him and like 20 minutes later, she's like, oh my God, he emailed me right back. I was like, yeah, like this is the kind of email he like wants to get, right? Like it's not a student. Oh, it's yeah. not somebody asking him to do something. It's like talking about his work. Like, mm -hmm. and so she was really taken aback. It's like, I think in many ways, academics uh, are much more accessible than people think. Yes. And then also like... And so are politicians. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, exactly. I, and I think too that... It's actually like the dream of a lot of politicians and academics and others that are afraid no one's maybe reading their work or mm -hmm. looking at their messaging. Like to get that feedback, to get those responses, it actually feels really nice because mm -hmm. um, it helps you learn and move forward and realize you're making an impact. So Yeah, and you want to hear about, like I had told her, like I'm sure he wants to hear about someone in the field actually using whatever he's looking at. And so... It's often not this like one-sided thing that we often, that I think that's a conception of non-academics think, right? That it's really one-sided that academics come up with stuff and then people in the field use it. But there's like a lot more, you know, give and take between the groups that, you know, is not always highlighted. Mm -hmm. And that we should be doing more of, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Hallie, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, it's been great to hear about your campaign travels so far and what you've learned, and maybe one day we'll go fishing with you. That would be awesome. Kristen, have you gone fishing lately? Lately? <laughs> uh, no. No. Uh, my family, uh, I grew up on a lake. My parents uh, have a house in Arkansas, and so I have, I'm very familiar with fishing. However, like, there's been a lot of flooding and, like, southern Missouri and uh, northern Arkansas, so like the lakes and rivers are really high down there. Mm -hmm. um, so there's not a whole lot of fishing going on down there, mm -hmm. luckily for me, because I it's not one of my favorite activities, but uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have gone before. Well, we'll try to make it your favorite activity okay. when we go. Yeah, yes. yeah we'll the have stakes to go. Have been raised. We'll figure out what you haven't fished for before. Okay. And oh, we'll I like fish that. for that. Yeah. I've actually never fun. been fly fishing. I know there's a big technique to it. I have seven fly rods. So well, it's going down. <laughs> That's it. We're going to have to go fly fishing with Hallie Thompson. 
Zach, it's gonna happen. <laughs> we may have to practice before. I, say, like, I know usually uh, it involves like an open field and you practicing for quite a while, but my yard will work. <laughs> Just don't like accidentally hook somebody. My cousin did that once. It was not a good thing. I have a good hook story. It's for later. We'll have to save that for later because we need to we need to check back yes. in with Hallie in a couple weeks. We need to go fishing. Mm-hmm. Well, that was our interview with Hallie. We're excited to hear what you guys think. Yeah, thank you, Hallie, for meeting with Kristen and I. It was wonderful to hear from you. Uh, hear from you, and so I have a question then for you two, Zach and Kristen. Do you ever want to run for office? Long awkward pause. <laughs> they well, they exchanged looks and kind of. <laughs> oh, I want to know what do you guys would you ever run for office have you thought about it I, I've thought about it a lot um, I have lived in Columbia for the same for the last 15 years and I've built a lot of connections with people in the community um, and I've had a number of people ask me if I was going to run for city council which um, our city council position is a volunteer position so there's no way unless I'm like retired or found a find a really lucrative halftime job that I would do that Um but I just don't know if I'm enough of an extrovert or um, tolerant enough of some of the the BS that that um, I've heard from the state capitol. Like I don't know that I could tolerate it as well as other people do. Um, so a strong maybe from from, from me. <laughs> what I about don't you, know. Kristen? For a long time, I always thought that I didn't have. Uh, anything really good to contribute or say. But I think, yeah, I, I might consider it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So is that also a strong maybe from you? Or is it a... I think if I was at a place and I got settled, <laughs> I mean, right now I feel like I'm kind of, you know, and I'm not really in my hometown or anything like that, and I don't necessarily want to return to it. But, like, once I kind of get established somewhere and settled and kind of get a feel for the place and kind of see where maybe uh, what I have to say might be of some use or where I could do some good, I think, yeah, I think I would consider it. I'm not sure if I would necessarily want, like, a Congress run, although one of the things that struck me the most out of talking to Hallie and I have a couple other friends who, you know, have ran campaigns or, um, you know, in positions now, the accessibility of it always surprises me. Like, I always, like, I'm a person who knows a congressperson or a potential, like, it just <laughs> seems so, like, foreign to me that, like, oh, these are, like, people who are like me who are doing this thing. And so seeing that makes me feel like, yeah, I do have stuff to say. I'm, I, I'm not sure. Um, I can't imagine my life as a politician. I can't imagine having a huge career as a politician. But I could see maybe where I could do some good potentially yeah you put you put a really interesting point out there where like it just seems like so foreign the like the people who represent us they seem so far away yeah and and you know i think part of that hallie mentioned there was like five hundred thousand people eligible voters in this district Mm -hmm. so there's no way that you're ever gonna meet all of those people but Mm -hmm. you know and and for for a lot of people they're represented by someone in a different party than than what they believe in. Like, you know, Congress is, you know, it's it's split one way now, but it's still like it's 60-40. So in, in each of those districts, you know, some people feel represented and other people don't. And so the, the mm-hmm. representatives just feel very far away depending on, you know, how they align with your own beliefs too. Kristen, you said something that really kind of struck me you said something about the accessibility of politicians and I think I think it's a reminder we we should be reminded in that that politicians are not just in Washington Mm -hmm. that they're also um, on our school boards um, they are on city councils they are running commissions we have people who are on the state level as well as federal level and so we have people who can really influence the daily lives of the people around us all around us right Mm -hmm. and so it's not just that focus on who's in washington 
yeah, that's a big part of it. But it's also who is running our school boards, right? Who is on the town council, even in tiny towns um, across the Midwest and even here on the East Coast? I mean, yeah, there's there's so much we can do and there are so many ways to get involved. Um, I'd really like to see more academics get involved on all levels, not just in the Congress. Yes, yeah, federal Congress. So let's put that question back to you. Would you ever run for office? Oh, that's a hard question. I've definitely talked about it. Um, and... I, again, I don't know. And maybe the indecision there is probably a no for me because I feel like maybe I could be influential elsewhere. Um, Because I think for me, that's not, my passion doesn't lie in something that I think would take me away from my passion for working with students and doing research and improving people's lives on that level and not just improving people's lives but allowing people to learn and um experience different um realms of knowledge and so for me i don't know really want to go into politics that way but i would maybe like to see other areas that i could be influential stay tuned i'm not exactly (laughs) sure what that would be but i think for me it's a it's a tentative no yeah, we'll, we'll revisit this in the 2020 cycle and see what you say then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Although I, I, I'll have, maybe I'll have a more stern answer one way or the other by then. Yeah. Although I do think all this, especially talking to Hallie and, you know, current politics and things like that, um, I think it's important. I think it's important that we talk about how important local elections are. Because these Absolutely. are the people who are getting put on the ballot. These are the these are the policies that really do affect people's lives. And I know people get really disillusioned by, you know, things that are happening in Washington and, you know, what this politician is saying. But these small elections often are won by such small margins. And some of these, like, you know, initiatives and, and things like that that do get on the ballot really do affect people's lives in your community. And a lot of people aren't voting in them. You know, in in all the research that I did for today, I did not find any sort of uh, database or compilation about the educational attainment of state, uh, like state reps and state senators or governors or or lieutenant governors and all that. So um, if if anybody in in the audience knows uh, about uh, any sort of, data source like that that would be helpful but uh yeah, yeah. maybe we have an academic who's listening who that's their research oh yeah yeah <laughs> or or we have an academic who's listening and has some spare time this summer and wants to <laughs> what are you even probably talking not about? no no that's just me what that's the kind of thing i would do today's show is also brought to you by forms Fill out one for every occasion. Pass a milestone, like passing comps, defend your thesis, get a promotion, or win an award. Fill out a form. Fill it out before you can fill out another one. Always be filling out forms. Forms. Filling out your forms. (laughs) Fill out your life one signature at a time. (laughs) That's just too real. Okay, guys, so I'm going to lead us in our self-care session for today. Um, Growing up, one of the things that my parents would always make sure that we had to do around the house um, was had stuff to do art or to paint or to draw or color. Um, We'd even make like art out of like cut up pieces of construction. And from that, one of my major self-care activities is to do art and to draw and to create. So I thought today... I would have you guys draw or color. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, even though it's not my favorite activity, I'm doing it with some of my favorite people. So that's that's what counts. Zach. Oh yeah, and Zach, this is not a like a. Um, I'm gonna go hang this in the Louvre, or you know, we're not looking for perfection. We're not looking for you to like be the next great American painter or a drawer. I just want you to experiment. Be free, you know. There is no, there is no good or bad. We're just drawing, right? I think doing artistic things always relaxes me. I don't do it enough. 
mainly because I just feel like I've got so many other things going on or I get in this little trap where I feel like even when I'm enjoying something, I still have to be sort of working on stuff. So I find myself watching TV and checking email or something like this. But it's really nice to just completely like disengage and um, and just work on Okay, well, now let's draw and let's see what comes out of it. Oh, I've just got, you know, plain old coffee paper and a good old-fashioned Ticonderoga, you know, number two lead. Just a, pen a pencil, Kristen, a pencil. <laughs> well, I don't just draw. I, I do some other kinds of crafts and stuff, too. I really enjoy painting. I enjoy creating things, like... um. I love knitting and stuff like that. Anything that I can create something or create some kind of art. I also think of it as like a post-apocalyptic lifestyle when it comes to like knitting because you need gloves. I got some gloves for you, you know, for the zombie apocalypse. Are you done already? I'm still drawing my cat, guys. Well, I, uh, I drew an idyllic countryside. Uh, and it was very relaxing, just as the countryside uh, often is. And speaking of self-care, today's show is also bought, brought to you by Reading for Fun. This most magical of pastimes has captured the hearts and minds of hard-working academics across disciplines, guaranteed to please if you ever have that time. Um, so go on, try it today. Try Reading for Fun. Oh, I wish I had more time to do that. A little more time now post-dissertation, post but I'd like to start reading and drawing a lot more. Well, that's our episode. Thank you guys for listening. The Didactic Trio will be back early fall with some more episodes, so stay tuned. Be sure to continue to check us out on social media. Like us on Facebook. Check us out on Apple and Google uh, Podcasts. Um, and feel free to reach out if you have a self-care activity you'd like us to try or a topic you'd really like us to cover, go ahead and drop us a line um, on social media and we'd love to hear from you. Bye, guys. <laughs>